Good day, my friends. This is Under Review, the tennis podcast from an insider's perspective. I'm Craig Shapiro, and on the show, I talk with some of the most interesting voices in the sport. We've got a fantastic show for you today. We are on the ground at the ATP Tour Finals in London, and we met up with tennis insider Prakash Amitraj. Prakash was born and raised in the world of pro tennis. He's the son of legendary Indian player Vijay Amitraj, and Prakash is no slouch himself. As a junior, he won Kalamazoo. He won a national championship at USC. And as a pro, he beat Gregor Dimitrov, Murat Safin, and he played singles on India's Davis Cup team. He's now an actor, a businessman, and a broadcaster for the Tennis Channel. We're gonna find out what it's like to cover tennis in Doha, what's in the future at the Tennis Channel, and what it's like to get sliced and diced by Fabrice Santoro. We're coming to you from the underbelly of the <laughs> O2 Arena. We're in interview room two, which is a, man, I wouldn't even call this guy. I mean, it's like a plastic temporary box. Box. <laughs> um, here with Prakash Amitraj. He is here with Tennis Channel. This is day three of the ATP Finals. And how are you, my man? Very good. Thank you for having me. How's the week been? been fantastic. Um, it's great to see all the boys again. I don't get to see everyone on a regular basis, so to see all the players, everyone on the tour, the um, officials as well, it's really nice. And also my first time to the O2. Spectacular arena. Oh man, this is your debut. Exactly. You and strike me as somebody that would, uh, that's in London, uh, you know, 17 times a year. <laughs> London, I come to uh, quite a bit, have a little bit of business here, but haven't been to this arena and I, I really, really dig it. Reminds me a bit of Staples Center. We do a five-set format um, to keep it popping, and uh, just, just just for the record, I'm three and zero oh in my career five-set matches, so that's a good thing. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> well, well, who did you beat in those uh, in those five in those um, five setters? They actually came at Davis Cup in Wimbledon. One was in singles against Go Soeda. Was about top fifty at the time. I was down two sets to love. Came back and won down match point. Won eight six in the fifth. That was a home tie in Davis Cup, which was cool. On grass, I'm guessing. On grass, you know it. And um, the other two were doubles at Wimbledon. Um, we beat uh, Stephen Huss, who won Wimbledon the previous two years. And um, myself and my partner, Assam Koreshi, we won that in five sets, won another one in five sets to make the second week. That's a nice 3-0 and record in <laughs> best of five. Not many matches, but I gladly got them all. Um, our first set, we're going to get right into it. We call this our off-the-court report. First of all, Prakash is probably the best-dressed person in all of <laughs> tennis. You know, you always got the perfect uh, knotted tie. You always have the nice uh, cufflinks well, and, and uh, the, the handkerchief in the pocket. Thank you. I think, you know, the older you get, you settle into your confidence and you end up doing what makes you feel most comfortable. So I feel comfortable in gym attire and I feel comfortable in suits. <laughs> Prakash is slick, man. He looks like he uh, owns like 13 nightclubs <laughs> all around uh, Mayfair. Um, Mayfair, you know your spots. Good stuff over come there. Come on, man. Don't let, uh, don't let my lack of uh, stylish dress fool you. Um, <laughs> What have you been? I mean, this year I know that you started. You were you did you did a bunch of broadcasting for BN, that no longer is in tennis. Um, you know, but at the top of the year you were doing all the women's events. Is that right? Um, I actually did the WTA event in Doha for them at their studio there. I did. 
the ATP event for them at their studio there. I actually covered Wimbledon last year for them as well. Um, the previous couple of years I had done Wimbledon for Star TV, but I've been uh, working a lot with Tennis Channel. BN is, uh, I think, a Qatari-owned yep. network. They've got a ton of soccer, and they had the they had the WTA contract. Yep. Um, so you would fly to Doha to broadcast? Yeah, it's a nonstop flight from LA. Really nice flight on Qatar Airways, and uh, you know they'd bring me in there, and uh, they have a really really great studio setup. So we'd kind of just do it straight from there. It's obviously nice being on site, but uh, if you're going to do it from a studio, may as well do it from a nice one. I think the general consensus was they weren't um, they were an ideal partner for the WTA. Ultimately, they were they were putting on soccer games when there would be like a incredible semifinal and things like that. I mean, there was a lot of controversy with that. It's tough, you know. They have so much content to be able to balance back and forth, and you got to look at the markets that they're going out to. And soccer is such a big sport. Um, of course, you know the WTA is growing, so it was a tough one, but tough to tough to go against soccer. And now, to now the big news though, uh, you know, in the past you know month and a half, the Tennis Channel will now be broadcasting all the WTA tournaments. That's a big thing. It's a big get. Uh, TC is only doing more and more content. I think it's great. They're not only getting more WTA matches, they've been doing a bunch of college events, a bunch of junior events. So I think it's wonderful. They're doing a lot more color segments. I think it's just gonna bring more people into the game. Now, you're a relatively new gun over at Tennis Channel. Do you have a feel for what your year will look like next year? Um, hard to say. You know, I've done quite a few different things for TC. Uh, I've obviously done their center court with commentary. Yeah, no, we've seen you in a the. Bit, I thought you uh, do a great job in the studio. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, I, I enjoy it, you know, all different aspects of it. I've actually covered junior events, I've covered college events, I've, you know, obviously I'm here at, at, you know, the biggest, most exclusive event in the world. I kind of, I like it all. I think it's really important. My biggest goal when I do this kind of stuff is, you know, you bring your passion for the sport to it. I think it translates to the audience and then, you know, keeps people engaged. You've, you finished tennis um, with, it sounds like what I would, what I've described typically as a catastrophic injury. You had a... Uh, you blew your shoulder out. A little bit of everything. Torn labrum, torn rotator cuff, and two bone spurs they had to shave down. And now you've segued into, you're like a full-blown fitness man. You're a, <laughs> what are you? Are you a bodybuilder? Uh, well, a lot of my friends, are the ones I train with, they're winning at, you know, Olympia, the Arnold, all the big events. But I mean, Prakash doesn't have like one, one <laughs> sliver of fat on his body. He's incredible. You know, for me, that comes from two things, really. One, you know, you're used to training eight hours a day for a sport, and then you shift into the business world. You kind of, you need some sort of physical output as your meditation to kind of release and ground yourself. So there's that aspect, and, you know, I'm quite a bit involved on the film side, entertainment, acting, and... Uh, this certainly helps with some of the goals I have there as well. But I'm, but you're a you you do incredible. <laughs> if you ever go on his uh, Instagram, he's like doing squatting, you know, 600 pounds, <laughs> doing all kinds of incredible things in the gym. I go a little crazy. No one me. would believe you ever play pro tennis. Oh, you should see the guys now. When I tell them that's what I did, they're like, "You must have been a quarter of your size back then." <laughs> yeah, man, you're like, you're like, you're like an Indian like Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> you know, with the. All right, I haven't heard that. I usually hear the Indian rock, but you know what, Buzz Lightyear, that's new. I like that. But okay. like, you, you look like a superhero <laughs> when you with all the muscles and veins. Appreciate it.
This is our second set. Uh, this is where we typically talk about uh, what's going on in pro tennis now. Um, generally speaking, I would ask you about your impressions of the year, but I, 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 I want to get more specific right now. Um, it, within the last few days, uh, Julian Beneteau gave an interview to, I believe it was a French magazine, and, and in it he talked about the nepotism <laughs> that kind of has permeated the sport, and he was specific to the fact that Roger Federer owns the Labor Cup with a group. That group has um, hired Craig Tiley, who runs the Australian Open. Roger won the last two Australian Opens without playing any night with any any day matches and Beneteau kind of um he spoke to that in a way that made you feel like maybe there's a, a problem um what were your uh impressions of what's going on over the last few, the last few days with this interesting it's been a hot topic as you said with a lot of the players they've been getting asked this you know I heard what Novak said about it what John Isner said about it which was what? You know, John said, listen, whatever special treatment the top players get, the Rafas, Novaks, Rogers, they don't get enough of it. They should get even more, John said. They deserve every single bit of it. Well, because without him, none of us are here, right? And John said, you know, a guy like Beneteau, for example, he's benefited from it as well, monetarily and so forth. My opinion on the whole situation is, you know, I think everything in this life is earned. So, you know, you make it up the ranks, you get to that spot. Uh, sure, there are certain, uh, you know, benefits you're going to get. It happens in all the sports, you know. LeBron gets it, I'm sure. Kobe gets it. But at the end of the day, they're also the driving force behind the revenue of the sport. They're the ones bringing in more and more dollars, which then eventually trickles down the system as well. It does seem, though, that the, the, the players and everyone seems to be working as business partners in a way that, you know, maybe seems a little bit much. Uh, it, it's tough, you know, I, I grew up listening to the stories from the 70s and 80s when, you know, you, all the players in singles played doubles. It was the same guys in doubles. They all traveled together, you know, they'd be sitting at dinner together without entourages and teams. And, and those guys became tournament directors. Uh, a lot of them did, a lot of them did. Uh, some of them have just been involved with the tour. Uh, some have just been alumni, but you know, the, Game changed into a business, you know, uh, in the 80s and, and more so in the 90s and certainly now. And you can't blame them. You know, they have to treat themselves like entities, like conglomerates. And when you do that, you kind of have to end up making the best business decisions at the end of the day. Is there one sort of thesis statement you can make about this year in tennis? Um, you can't ignore Roger. It's funny, everyone looks at it like, oh, he hasn't had a great year. The guy still put up another slam in Australia, hit number one at 37, so you can't ignore him. But I still think it's the fact that when the top guys and you know who've been dominating for so long, Roger, Rafa, and Novak, uh, find their health and you know are in the right mind space, they're still light years ahead of the rest of the pack. Um, on, on sort of the second tier out of that top three, I really like what I've seen from Kevin Anderson. He's shown me a lot this year. You meanwhile, Kevin Anderson just absolutely pistol whipped him. Just after Nishikori beats Fed. Nishikori beats Federer and now Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson played incredible. 
Not only did he play incredible, what I liked is he's, he has all these new aspects to his game. We saw him attack the net a lot today, and I think that, the more he comfortably gets up there, is going to make him so much more of a threat with all his other weapons. Um, on the women's side, um, to me, I love to see uh, some of these new faces like Kazit Kina. I love seeing... I'm a huge fan of Sabalenka. Well, Sabalenka is the nut. She's the next one, it seems like. Yeah. Um, really great attitude out there, super positive. Um, you know, what I love to see from the young players is, is the belief. I feel like you can see that with some and you don't see it with some. And she certainly has it. Uh, moving into our third set, you know, this is where we typically talk about our interviewee's career. Um, before we get into your career, I want to talk about your dad. I think without, you know, any further belaboring it, uh, Prakash is the son of the first ever professional athlete from India, Vijay Amitraj, um, who's someone that I'm 46. I, I remember him playing our tournament in Newport, Rhode Island. Um, and your father was a big, big star. Um, were you born in India? No, born and raised in LA. Um, so your father, Kate, how did your father and your uncle, and you know, there's an uncle involved too, he's got this white silver hair <laughs> and dark, dark skin, a non amitraj The silver fox. The silver fox, man, he's incredible. Um, and you, and, and you, your family is like one of the most famous sports families in the history of India. Yeah, they've, uh, between the three brothers, they've certainly achieved quite a bit. Akash is the third. Uh, Ashok. Ashok, sorry, Ashok. Um, he's been very successful in the, in the film industry. But um, like you said, Vijay was the first you know, professional athlete to come out of India. And him and his brother played doubles along with Vijay's singles career. How did they learn tennis in India? My grandmother. My grandmother loved the game and she played for her college. She was the first <laughs> sort of woman to be president of her college, played tennis for her college, and she introduced it to our grandfather. They used to play husband and wife tournaments, and the kids used to watch and, and, and grow up with it. What city in uh, India? Uh, in what was used to be called Madras, which is now Chennai. Chennai. And um, what are your first memories of your father and being in around tennis? Do you have, like, you gotta have something that you remember. Absolutely, I mean, when I was a kid, I traveled with him on the tour. So by the time I was two years old, I was on my second passport. I have pictures of everyone from Becker, Connors, all these guys carrying me as a baby. Um, so it's quite a kick when, when they see me now. But um, I, uh, I, I grew up around it and it just, it didn't seem out of the ordinary because that's what I was used to. You know, sort of being around these guys, it made me fall in love with the game. Um, do, you, but do, you, do you have a first memory? Like I can pinpoint uh, my most special memory at a young age which was uh, when I was nine and a half years old. Uh, it was the summer, we were at Wimbledon. I used to go with dad every year. I used to go with him to the locker room all the time. And he was in the Champions A locker room with Sampras, Becker, everybody. And I found myself at nine years old, I was sitting on a bench in the locker room in between Sampras and Becker. And that was really the moment where I'm like, this is what I wanna do. I came back like a month later and won my first tenant under tournament, which was a big deal for me at the time. You're an LA guy. Yep. And how did your whole family end up in LA? That's just where they went? In the 70s, when they left India, they wanted, they needed better practice. So they came to the States, which was the best place at the time. And it was between LA and New, uh, LA and Miami with the weather. And they ended up choosing Southern Cal. And who's your dad's like, who is, who's like, who's your father's like best friend? 
in tennis? Like, does he ever like see like him and Jimmy Connors talk every morning or um, something? Actually, uh, so we live in the Valley in LA. Uh, Dad lives in uh, Encino, and we have a nice country club close by where I grew up playing, Braemar Country Club. And um, uh, when John Lloyd lived there, John and Jimmy used to come up and play golf quite a bit. Um, Jimmy's yeah. down all the way in Santa Barbara. I mean, VJ Amitraj, one of the coolest cats there ever was. <laughs> um, he played uh, a secret agent in Octopussy. In a James Bond movie. He was yep. in James Bond, right? Yep. Do, yep. do you go on set for that? Uh, no, that, he actually filmed that uh, a few months before, a year before I was born. So it released the year I was born. Oh, man. But I hear some incredible, incredible stories about it. So when does that make you, about 35? Exactly right. Okay. About a month ago, okay. I turned 35. So you grew up in tennis, playing playing in, in the States. But Indian players have historically been good on grass, and I know that your best result was on that lousy grass at Newport. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're not really a grass court. You weren't like a grass court player. Um, or you did have that style a little I, bit. I, I loved it. You know, I grew up learning to serve and volley. So, you know, I okay. did like a fast, hard court. I did like grass. It took me a little while to get used to those bad grass courts, as you call it, where we played so many Davis Cup matches in India. But um, I grew Well, I didn't say in India. I said the ones at the Hall of Fame, because well, I know that grass the, the is ones, pretty... The ones we played Davis Cup in India are very similar. Okay. Um, but I, I, I grew to love it. I certainly did. Um... You played at USC. Did you play for Peter Smith? I was fortunate where my freshman year I played for Dick Leach when we won the national title. I was the most valuable player in the finals, and I came back for one more season where I played for Peter. So I was fortunate enough to work with both of them. Both of these guys, they're the best college coaches there is. Um, what was that experience like for you to be at USC? It was amazing. You know, you heard so many stories about Dick Leach, and, you know, at that point in my junior career, I had received scholarships pretty much everywhere. So it came down to where I wanted to go. So I was choosing between Stanford and USC. Those are where I narrowed it down to. And for me, it was two things. One, I wanted to stay closer to home. And two, there was just something very special about playing for Dick. Um, Dick Gould, of course, was at Stanford, so it was a tough decision. But it was, uh, it was very special. You know, and, and that was Dick Leach's send-off as, as we won it. Um, you turned pro. And it sounds to me like you probably started having shoulder problems right out of the box. I mean, you did not have a very... Uh, long pro career? I missed, uh, I started in 2003 officially. My first US Open was 2002, and my last year was 2013, but I lost a lot of years in between, a lot of months with various different injuries and so forth. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, was there pressure? Like, did you have pressure from like the Indian press, and did you have a lot of like issues the way I could only imagine? Sure. I mean, they're a bit extreme. The Indian media, you know, they like to like to write what they like to write. But you know, there were positives and plus, uh, pluses and minuses to it. You know, I wouldn't have traded my experience in Davis Cup for the world. And so you played Davis Cup with uh, Leander and Mahesh, I'm guessing? Myself, Leander, Mahesh, and uh, Rohan was the team Rohan for, Bopana. For, for quite a while. Rohan and I played singles and uh, they played doubles, yeah. Oh, that's a good team. It was a good team, and especially on grass, we were, we were quite tough. Um, you know, the World Group qualifying round, we ran into a couple of, uh, you know, rough ones. We lost to Sweden on grass. They had Bjorkman and Johansson the years they made the semis. We lost to uh, Verkirk and Schalken in the Netherlands. They were both top ten at the time. Um, and uh, one year, we ended up going down to Romania, in Romania. Hanesco on clay was pretty rough, too. 
Oof, that is that is rough. Um, you know, and, and then you know, I know you had a great result in Newport. You finaled, and and I the one day I introduced myself to Prakash a couple of years ago. I saw him at the gym, <laughs> and uh, ironically enough, and you said that uh, you lost. Well, you lost to Fabrice Santoro in the final. Um, and you said that he was hitting slice lobs, like that it was just the most bananas thing. It was nuts because he opens the racket face, you end up closing the net. Guy just lobs it over your head. He was one of the most unique players I've ever played against. I mean, Fabrice Santoro just to the absolute magician with the racket. Um, uh, but you said that he was hitting just bonkers shots. And he, he was, I was up a break both sets. But it's funny that that low court, even though he didn't serve in volley, he just adjusted to every bad bounce better than anyone I've seen. Yeah, he's a totally uh, enigmatic uh, player. Uh, he was at that time. I mean, certainly. Yeah, I think he's got 17. I think he, he I think he beat 17 world number ones. Yeah. Incredible. This is our fourth set. We call it the 10 wall scramble. Man. We do not do a deep dive. We it's word association. I'm gonna say a name or a thing, and then you'll you'll just um, give us what you think or what you. you what comes into your mind. Okay. Ramanathan Krishnan. Heart. You, you have to explain that to our people. Well, Ramanathan was uh, you know a hero to my father growing up. He was the hero to a country of India, and uh, this is the first great tennis player, and and he really is the beginning of. What was like a, you know, India has a significant tennis history. A huge tennis culture, and uh, especially in the South at that time. Uh, Ramanathan comes from the South as well. And, uh, you know, he had made the semis, semis of Queens and so forth. And um, I heard all these great stories about him playing Davis Cup, uh, one particular match against Thomas Koch from Brazil, which I'll, I'll never forget. But interesting story, he was captain of the Davis Cup team when my dad came up and dad played Davis Cup under him. Shortly after, Dad became captain, and when Ramesh, Ramanathan's son, came up, he played under my father, and when Ramesh became captain, I played for Ramesh, which was interesting circle of life there. That's incredible, and, and, and um, that was my second name, is Ramesh Krishnan. Soft, soft hands. I've never seen winners being struck so softly on a court before. So stylistic, incredible style. Amazing. A non-amitrage. Fiery. How so? Uh, he, uh, he's, he, he's got a temper on him. You know, even now in practice, he's got to be close to 70, in between 65 and 70. And boy, I'll tell you, when he's doing his ups and downs at the net, if he misses one, you might see a racket or a ball fly. <laughs> Your best win. Uh, close call between Murat Safin and Grigor Dimitrov. I will go with Safin. You beat Murat Safin. Where'd you beat Murat Safin? Uh, at the LA ATP tournament when it was back at UCLA, which I miss dearly. We all miss that. Um, your worst loss? Oh gosh. I mean, if it's my worst loss, that means I certainly can't remember. It's certainly someone not ranked very high. But the one that stung the most was a Davis Cup match against Assam Qureshi. India-Pakistan is always a big thing in any sport. And I lost that match in India. That hurt. That's done. That's done. I mean, that, that's like <laughs> that, that's like almost a, a biopic. That's almost you can make a movie about that one match. See your face right now. Yeah, exactly. India, Pakistan, and Davis Cup. Incredible. Um, your favorite court. Favorite court. Um, 
I'm gonna say the right side of the stadium court at the RK Khanna Stadium in Delhi. They used to have it where the left side was hard court, right side was grass. And I had some of my best Davis Cup wins there, and Dad did as well, so it was very special for me. Favorite tournament? I'll say Newport. Newport, you finaled. Uh, that's a great, that's gotta be your, that's gotta be your favorite, because that's your best result. I love that, and I heard a lot of stories about it growing up, and uh, I forget the name of the church, but there's a, a magnificent church there where we go on every Sunday, and that's where JFK got married. It's a lot of history to the town, too. Your favorite player? Close call between Boris Becker and Pops, but I'm gonna go with Pops. Gotta go with your father. Um, your father and I uh, share a birthday, and um, I thought we thought that's pretty cool. Impressive, you, got, you share it with two champions, Stan Smith as well. So if you're a Sagittarius, that means everyone must like you. Oh my God, that's, a, that's the nicest thing I've heard all day to say <laughs> for sure. This is our fifth and final set. We call it King of the Court. If you were the king, how would you do it? Um, you know, the state of Labor Cup and Davis Cup and the schedule in general seems to be hot button topics, um, particularly now, after what we talked about earlier. Um, if you were the king, would you keep it the same as it used to be? Would you make these changes? Do you think there are problems? Well, for Labor Cup, I think it's a brilliant initiative uh, because it, it just makes tennis so exciting, bringing everyone together in sort of an all-star format. Back when they had world team tennis, the way it was in the 70s where everybody played, when they brought together that all-star team, East and West, it was just, it was packed. Everyone used to come out. Nobody's saying anything against it. So That's for sure. People I, love it. I certainly like it. Um, it. It's just a question of where, when you can schedule it to make it convenient. So I have absolutely no negative thoughts about that. The Davis Cup, I'm a traditionalist, so I like the way the things they were. Um, the feeling that I got when I was down two sets to love in a home tie, you couldn't see straight in 130 degree weather in Delhi, and you come back and win match point down only because the crowd pulls you through and you're able to win that, no kid coming up is gonna be able to feel that. Because if the Czech Republic is playing Great Britain in uh, you know, Los Angeles, holding it in the US, they're not gonna feel that. The crowd has no attachment to each of those teams. So I think that's one thing that will certainly be missed. And also the point is, is that in countries other than the United States, where somehow Davis Cup has gotten kicked to the curb for a lot of reasons we could discuss another time, it's one of the most important things there is. I, I certainly think so. Around the world, people grow up with the dream of being able to play Davis Cup and Wimbledon. So I, I think that's certainly gonna be missed. And also, with regards to the schedule, you put it in November, I think it's just a very tough ask on the players. Look, we don't have a big off-season. So the little off-season that we do have, you have to protect. You know, the top 20 guys who don't make it to this event here in London, they're done after Paris. They have a little bit of time to go find a beach somewhere and then get back to training for the next season. They need that time. I mean, right now we're talking about this. It's November, you know, it's the middle of November. They gotta be in, they, got, they, have, they have six weeks. Absolutely. And you can't take a day off, come back, get ready for Davis Cup. Next thing you know, you're, you know, you don't have your training block before Australia. So it does, you know, uh, mess with things a little bit. The Davis Cup initiative is a bad idea. Uh, I think it can be done a different way. I, I like it the way it was, personally. Prakash Almatraj, um, Thank you so much. Uh, 
the pleasure was ours. My pleasure, thank you for having me. And uh, you are released. <laughs> thank you, sir. Huge thank you to Prakash Amitraj. Also want to thank our friends at the Tennis Channel and our friends with the ATP. Our producer is Scott Tuft, and our music is by Brian Senti. Matt Degnan did our mix. I want to thank everyone for listening. We have a plethora of great interviews coming up, and we will be back before you know it, talking tennis with the most interesting voices in the sport. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review us on the Apple Podcast site and spread the word. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, tennis-related, send them to us at info at underreviewtennis.com. Until next time, I'm Craig Shapiro, and you are released.